Well, this morning, as I mentioned, we are taking a detour a little bit. It's supposed to be conclusion of a self-denial series, uh, part three, which is actually, what does it look like practically to deny our, our, ourselves? And that was very powerful uh, thought process as I'm applying and I'm anticipating that God will do the same for you guys. But not that i given in to those people who requested to delay uh, one week because of half marathon in Long Beach right now. But I think that uh, this is really timely and fitting of uh, a message. Uh, I, I thought about changing the title, the Baptism of Jesus sounds a bit boring and it sounds like a totally different thing. But in reality, what this is about is actually elaboration of part two and of part two. And it will be a stronger introduction to part three of self-denial. But even if you haven't heard two messages so far, this message is by itself, I think, uh, Holy Spirit will use, I pray, to move our hearts, to bring closer to His bosom. I want to start with the idea of salvation. What is salvation? <clears throat> and there are two different approaches to that. As soon as you become scripture guided and you become God-centered and then they emphasis on something. I don't want to reveal that yet. But if, as soon as you stay away from or drift away from scripture and then or even if you use the scripture to be guided, it's a very low view of scripture, a lot of practical wisdom of the world, then it becomes quite man-centered. And then, if you, if you really don't look at the scripture and God-centered approach of salvation, salvation means change of our environment. So in, in heaven, just think about that. Everything is perfect. You go over there, and change of environment, heaven. That's typical man-centered way of looking at heaven. So everything will be perfect. And, you know, I could eat anything I want, but I don't have to worry about gaining weight. And then everybody is in harmony. Which is a good, good thing. But in that, what's missing is perfect condition without God, with our relationship with God will not be heaven. So that's why, the, in one sense, a liberal theologian, I'm not talking about the politically liberal, I'm talking about theologically liberal people who's drifted away from scripture and their idea of salvation and the church's core mission is, is to change the environment around us to make a better society, which is part of a 
Christian church's mission supposed to be, even if you're God-centered, because a salt and light definitely will impact the world rather than influenced by that. But let's start with this idea. There are two aspects of salvation because the salvation itself is a change of not of an environment but of being, our own existence, identity. And two aspects of salvation are, number one, restoration of our relationship with God. This is a change of identity. identity. Theological word for that is a justification. We are justified before God. We are seen as if we never seen because the blood of Jesus applied on our sins, ourselves. Another way of looking at it is to become sons of God. I could say children of God, but I want to explain why I'm using the sons. And it's, it's not a, a gender-specific uh, term, but it's a biblical term, and I'll explain that a little bit later. Second aspect of salvation is restoration of God's image in us. Uh, both restoration presupposes something went wrong, Right? Remember part two last week, because of original sin, not because of act of Adam's first sin, but because of the consequence of Adam's sin, the sin nature, the na- nature of hu- basic human nature has been completely corrupted. The sin nature came in. We became totally unable to do will of God on our own. So because of all, what God created as good has been distorted. So now the restoration, first of all, with our relationship with God, and then relation, our God's image in us is being restored. I made a mistake here. It should say, the second one, to become more like sons of God which is a change of character. Biblical word or theological word for that is sanctification. Do you know this? If John 3.16 is completely paraphrased in our context of theological study right now, it would be like this. God sent his only begotten son to make sinners, the people of God, as sons of God. One more time. God sent his son, oh, I, I should have said, for God so loved the world, the love the world meaning people, that he gave his only begotten son to make sinners out of his sovereign grace the people of God who are sons of God. Of God. So, what has that got to do with baptism of Jesus? Pay attention here. We're going to make a click, and then once you see the connection and click, and it will be so easier 
uh, so comforting and encouraging to, to follow the rest of the message. These changes of our salvation are by grace, not by works, not by merit, and through faith, and faith alone, not by self-efforts, in Christ, and in Christ alone, not in anyone else. So, baptism of Jesus reveals the special meanings of grace by which we live our Christian life, not to mention by which we are saved. So, going back to today's passage, the question that we're going to ask uh, as you're making observation on this passage is, why was Jesus baptized? We understand the Christians who are sinners becoming a Christ follower. There is a repentance and we get baptized. Jesus' command. But the question is, we thought that Jesus was not a sinner. That he has no sin in him. But why was he baptized? Verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John, John the Baptist, to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do not, are you, do you come to me? But Jesus answered, answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. In order for us to understand this passage, we need to look at the context of the passage, which is all about John the Baptist and baptism of John. What was John's baptism? So we need to understand the eschatology, end-time theology, how Jews uh, in the first century, Jesus' days, view the world. And the two important terms in the, throughout the New Testament you will see, the word is this age and the age to come. This age refers to, the, to right now. And then what was going on? The Roman Empire... Gentiles' empire was ruling over the people of God. So that this age, this age to Jews, especially back then, was a dark age. It is a very evil age to, under the dominion of the evil one. And the second term the age to come meant the kingdom of God will finally come. The rule of sovereign king, the Lord Yahweh, will come. 
as, as promised in uh, Old Testament. So when you think about Jewish mindset, and Jesus used these word terminologies also too, very differently. As, you know, it's close, but very differently. For Jews, the, the age to come is actually begins with ushers by the coming of the Messiah. Why? The king is powerful enough to overcome all the Gentile nations, including Roman Empire, and restore Israel. And if you look, at, look through the gospel, the disciples will be asking that kind of question. Is it time for you to restore Israel? If it is so, James and John, and their mother in other gospels said, could you put, consider putting us in your, on your right, on your left, number two and number three in the kingdom, political kingdom. Uh, and then what happens after that? The ruling of God's sovereign rule is Israel will prosper, continually live on like that. But in Christian terminology, it's different. This stage now is the, the present world we, in which you live. And the final kingdom of God is heaven. So when Jesus comes and introduces, ushering our uh, readiness toward the kingdom of God, and for the kingdom of God to come, you need two things. And obviously it's the Messiah who will save us from our helplessness, the uh, sin-stained humanity, which is enmity toward God. And the second one is people of God. God's kingdom needs the people of God. But people of God has to be holy, sanctified. Right? So that was John's ministry as well, to prepare two things. The way of the Lord, the Messiah, Jesus' way, and the, to prepare the people of God. How do you prepare the people of God? He preached the message of repentance and water baptism. Repent and be baptized. By saying that, you're going to turn from your ways and surrender yourself under the sovereign rule of God so the kingdom might come. Okay, one more section. You, and then we will bear... Reap the harvest, okay? <clears throat> In previous passage, it clarifies that a little bit. Uh, starting with verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said... The voice of one crying in the wilderness. He calls himself the voice. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts with wild honey. 
Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all region about the Jordan were coming out to him. And they were baptized by him in the water, in, in the river, Jordan, confessing their sins. And Jesus came to that. And not only Jesus came, but so many different people came. Pharisees and Sadducees came. And to them, John the Baptist was very stern. He said, bear the fruit of your repentance. Meaning, if you're really repented, you need to live out your obedience. You cannot continue your life like that. You think that God gave you Abraham as a, your, your forefather, that you belong to God. Be warned, because the X is placed on the tree already. In other words, judgment day is closed. God can make people of God out of these stones. So this is a very powerful, shocking message. Because the Israels uh, were boasting in the, their bloodline of Abraham. But they're saying, people of God will be prepared for holy God through repentance. So let's look at the answers. Why was Jesus baptized? Number one, it was not because he needed repentance, having no sin. But rather, it was to identify himself with sinners to make their salvation. Jesus, as a man, perfect man, but really fully human, came to die in place of, on behalf of us, all the sinners in the world. So the first thing that he needed to, to do as he begins his public ministry he identifies himself. And it's a call to obedience to God's will. Number three, it was to begin Jesus' public ministry with anointing of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament days, they're anointing with the oil that symbolizing God had empowered the king, empowered the prophet. But in, in this case, anointing by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit came as the third person of Trinity showing, showing up on Jesus. And then common misconception that I think it's kind of uh, minimized the role of the Holy Spirit. And uh, you know, people draw this dove. It wasn't actually dove. It, it felt like the very peaceful way of coming on the Holy, Holy Spirit on Jesus. Holy Spirit is not a power, not a dove, not an electricity, not some kind of a weird presence, but the third person of the triune God. So they got the Son coming out of the water, and got the Holy Spirit coming on, on him, and the voice of the Father God opened up to the, from the sky saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. 
in other passages, other, other Gospels use the word, you are my son. And then even Matthew, old scripts, manuscripts will have you as well. And this is a powerful moment. Okay, I'm going to remind you one more time. Up until this time, Jesus didn't do any ministry, public ministry. And he hasn't done one thing. Oh, not even difficult 40 days of fasting. As soon as he gets baptized, he goes to the desert, led by the Holy Spirit. But here, Jesus is embarking. Jesus is inaugurating his ministry. And then God's affirmation and love and acceptance is already there. And this is a pr- primarily Jesus the man getting assured into the public ministry, not just the divinity of Jesus that we separate ourselves, because he's identifying himself with the rest of us. One more. So therefore, it points to the cross of Calvary as a suffering servant. In Isaiah 53, what does that mean? The, the prophecy about coming Messiah, which really confused the Jews, even nowadays, they were thinking of a powerful political king, but Isaiah 53 is suffering servant, servant, By his stripes, we are healed. He is broken and smitten. But we are saying that he is smitten by God. We all went astray like a sheep. But he didn't open his mouth as being killed. Like a slaughter's house, in slaughter's house. The beginning of this moment when Jesus stepped out from private to public life, John the Baptist recognized him because he was sent to prepare the way of the Messiah and said, no, 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 I should be baptized by you. And do you come to me? You cannot do that. I cannot allow. What did Jesus say? Let it be for now, for it is fitting, proper, for both of us, for full righteousness. The righteousness is simply to do God's will. For us to do, follow the God's will, for the God's redemptive work, sovereign plan for mankind's and salvation, it is fitting for us to do it. And at that word, John the Baptist finally gave in. So, having said that, let's chew on it so that we could take this theological thing and put it into our practical lives. What are the special meaning that baptism 
of Jesus revealed to us. Number one, it reveals God's sovereign grace in giving all believers a new identity as sons of God in Christ. Throughout this series, I said sound theology is important. One of the the most important thing that we need to embrace is the creative self. Deny the fallen self, but the creative self. One of the creative self that we need to think about is to think. When we encounter the passage, when we encounter the biblical concept, we need to think clearly, <coughs> continually think of clearly. Then what will come out is God's truth, and he is saying, this is reality for you. Not just right now, but for eternity. This is an eternal reality for you. But if you come back to the man-centered world, secular humanism said, there is no absolute being, so there is no one person who is absolutely, consistently right and true. And therefore, it is all relevant. The relevant truth and the personalized truth, you put in meaning into it, and it's basically saying, it might be true to you. It might be false to you, but it could be true to me. My reality is this. Subjective reality happens, especially in postmodern days, isn't it? The objective truth is offensive. But think about this. God gave us sonship. And that's the almighty God, holy and sovereign God, stating the reality for all those who are in Christ Jesus. Not because we are better, but because, not because we earned the right, the merit, but because His Son, we are identified by baptism into Christ. Baptism basically means union, oneness. What Christ is has become ours. Galatians 3, 25 to 27 says, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under guardian, which is the law. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, clothed with Christ. God doesn't see us. God sees Christ. Think about this. Why do you use the word sons? Why can't we see children or sons of daughters? And there is a specific reason for that. I was tempted to write to children of God because the biblical word son has two more things in, in this context. Number one is heirship. Son is the heir in biblical culture. So whatever that God prepares for the eternity, son is heired. So if you, sister, you are God's son in Christ. In that sense, not because well, in, in, in heaven, in final kingdom of God, there will be no husband and wife and there will be no sex, gender. Because God is greater than all that happens, right? And the second thing God has is image of God is, you know, the expression split image of your dad. 
negative term usually, right? But in this case, is you resemble holy God. You are just like God, like father, like son. Those two things are there. So in terms of our salvation is our being is changed, not our circumstances or environment. Have you ever thought about that? I am a lawyer. I'm a doctor. I'm an engineer. I'm a father. I'm a dad. I'm a mom. I'm a pastor. So we could begin to think about our identity as what we do. Or what people say about us. How they view us. So if it is really high opinion, good reputation, our self-esteem goes up, or something bad happens, or we ruined it, our reputation, and becomes it's just very hard to live with myself. Isn't it? Would you listen? God's reality to you and me through faith, not because of our efforts, by grace, undeserved and unmerited gift of God, in Christ, God sees a son in you. This is an incredible thing. And I will explain a little more in the next coming point, personally more, where we constantly battle with our self-worth and self-identity with surroundings, even as a Christian, even as a pastor. When church is doing well, I think I'm a great person. I'm a worthwhile person. When church is not doing well, or the church is not growing, or the people are not really living out their Christian life, or the marriage is not being restored, I feel like a lousy pastor. Stress goes up. In the middle of the night, I can't get up. What should be the first thought as a godly pastor? Praise you, Lord, right? No, the whispers of condemnation. We should, you, you haven't done this right. Only if you're a certain way. Some people devote their heart and soul into career because of that. Some people pursue money and wealth and affluence as if that will give meaning. And some people, you know, good things like your children. As much as your children are good, they're just gift. We should pay attention to our gift giver who is the eternal reality for us. There will be a gaping hole. You might be doing well when your kids are doing well and when your parenting seems to work and when your career is, when your business is booming and all of a sudden something goes right and what in the world is happening? And things, Murphy's Law, go wrong in several directions at the same time. 
And on top of that, your you know, toilet doesn't work. And my case, a few weeks ago. <laughs> and then your, your car breaks down or your car needs a, a new tire. All that piles up and all of a sudden, oh, the whispers of the self-condemnation, my own voice, and then evil one speaks to me. What are you, what, what, what are you planning? That series? You? Ha, no way. Just give it up. Just want to be flow with the f- crowd. Let them hear what they want to hear. Oh, that's too much of a, it's beyond your head. Oh, what do you want to do, do with your church? Your church is participating in what? Serving the refugees? Oh, encouraging them to go into uttermost parts of the world and partner with Boy and Cindy and for the unreached people group? Let's pay attention. Do your own little thing first. And same, if you apply the same thing to you, some of you had a horrible week, horrible month, because things go, didn't, didn't go well. And I could tell you, without embracing this new identity and reality by faith, you're just train rag. You're doomed to depression. Number two, it reveals, baptism of Jesus reveals God's acceptance of believers in Christ as his beloved sons, not by works, but by grace. His beloved sons. Do you remember the point that I made about Jesus? He didn't do a thing. He didn't... Heal anybody, he didn't change the wine and water to, into wine, and he didn't open the blind people, blind man, blind person, heal the sick. None of that happened. Feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, fish, none of that. Not to mention the crucifixion of Christ. Sacrificial atoning death. Not a thing. Not even, not even fasting. And God the Father is saying, you are my beloved son. You are not only my son, but you are my beloved son. Remember the union, oneness, what Christ is, because in Christ, God is calling you today and whispering to your soul today, calling your name, Paul, you are my son. You are my beloved son. Rika, you are my beloved daughter. Elgin, you are my beloved son.
Adrian, you are my beloved son, meaning the daughter. First John 3, verse 1 to 2 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. The second part of the change of our God's image being restored in us, the sanctification, this what Jesus, John, John the Apostle is mentioning is at the end of that, the complete completion of sanctification will happen. We will become like Jesus. The biblical term, theological term for that is a glorification. But coming back to this, I know some of you, oh, I, I, I get that, Paul. So I'm going to try hard now. I'll come to men's group and women's group more often. I'm going to get involved in church and serve. Maybe I could serve with a food bank or sheepfold or what's coming up. Or, or maybe a children's ministry, youth ministry. Welcome to him. That's all good, good, right? But right now, today, you need to and I need to hear that God's gentle, small voice to us in the depth of our soul saying, you are my beloved son. And many of you, if not all of you, know that I started this church starting with resigning from large, really fast-growing church. I was confused. I was in my middle, middle life and... Uh, I wasn't sure what, what was going on in my role, and I, I didn't like who I'm becoming. And I still remember one time after a long day of hard work, I came home, and my third son, Seth, was sitting on the couch, and I, I just came in. He didn't know I came in. He's now 13, but back then he was, he was three years old. He just murmurs like this to his mom. God, I mean, <laughs> dad works all day long. And when he comes home, he falls asleep in the couch. I don't like him. Oh. Do you know, if I, if I share my stories of growing up, one of my aspiration is being a dad. Being a good dad. I just love the kids and I, I will do these as a parent and loving dad and caring dad and involved. And it just hurt. I couldn't even 
I couldn't even say, don't say that anything like that. I just hurt. And I, I, I went to a time alone and extended time. And I went to a, a monastery and just sitting before God and listening doing a silent retreat for three days. And the things that I, I've been avoiding, and I call it a lifting rocks, every rock, and look at what's underneath the more hidden motives, right? All this time, my Lord, I thought I was serving you with fervently, fervent heart. And part of it is really true. Well, where did my drivenness come from? Why am I so driven in this ministry? It helps me to even rationalize it because it's ministry, not making money. At the bottom of it, men and women, it is about who I am. I am struggling whether I'm loved. And everyone has a brokenness, right? The fallen self is continually struggling. You know what my struggle is? was? Ever since I was a little kid, I was born in physician and doctor's family. And doctor's family, the intellectual things, the artistic things are highly valued. And which was my sister who get all these rewards, awards from competitions of piano, violin, arts, and all that. And my brother, who is a second, second child, who's a brain, who gets straight A's without even trying. I, don't you hate those people? And here I am. Here I was. I was an athletic kid. But athleticism doesn't count. Those who do not, cannot study well, fall into the sports thing. Oh. So as I was growing up, I didn't feel important at home. My words are not really valued and respected. I was just a little kid. They have even nicknames for me. Bad weather. From time to time, I play so hard. I wet my bed. I, you know, they call me a bad weather, and they call me a rascal, troublemaker. All in the name of they said affection, which made me messed up inside all my life. It took me twenty some years to finally forgive my mom and my dad. And my brother and sister, because of favoritism was so evident in our family. It was evident. And they even admitted too. So what happened? I went outside, play with the boys, play with kids outside. Suddenly, they liked me. I'm the leader of the gang. Anywhere, without title, I was always the leader of this little gang. I would go to school and I, they would like me. And some of you, light bulb comes up right now. Because I don't have typical youngest one's character. I act like someone who is firstborn, responsible, tell you what to do, boss you around. Because my drivenness is source of my energy to prove my self-worth, that I am beloved. And during that six month of sabbatical, I was sitting before God every day, 
initially it was so painful because God will reveal all these hidden motives. And I, I, I feel disgusted by myself. But as I was hanging in there, what I was hearing is God's gentle whisper of grace. Don't you know you're my beloved? And I love you. And I am so well pleased with you. I messed up all these things. I wasted my life on these things. And, and I used people. I hurt people in the name of making ministry work. Lord, I participate in that. I know. I don't want you to sit in that messiness. But the starting point is I love you. It's not, it's not, okay, don't worry about anything. You just sit in there and be a sinner. It's okay to be a sinner forever. No, I love you. The way that you come out of that messiness to receive my acceptance, accept my acceptance, God says. Number three. Not only that, it reveals God's amazing love and joy. I, I really wanted to say pleasure. God has a pleasure on us, on those who are in Christ right now. Not in the future, whenever you do consistent quiet time, whenever you are more nicer and gentler to your husband or to your wife. But right now. And do you know that uh, we, if not all of us, many of us don't have any problem theologically that God loves us? Because he has to love us. He doesn't have a choice because he's love, right? But what about this idea? Branding Manning asked this question. Do you know God likes you? God is fond of you. He's well pleased with you. Of course, not because of what you have done, but because Christ Jesus has become identical with you. You, you reveal the union of Christ, and God sees his beloved son in you. Zephaniah 3.17 Hear this, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Oh, I like that comparison. The contrasting things. He will quiet you when I'm complaining, when I am just down and grumbling about who I am and things that I don't have, things that I cannot do well, things that I get frustrated myself, he quiets me and you with his love. And he celebrates with loud voice. This is my son. Rico, Michelle, Julie, 
God is so glad over you. We have two choices. To believe by faith and embrace it so that we could experience it. Or we become cynical about these statements and stay away from it. You will bear the fruit. But I challenge you. This will revolutionize your life. And more than that, unless we embrace the acceptance of God, we cannot really properly, in a realistic way, we don't have an energy to deny ourselves. But when he gives us the glimpse of true picture, our false self is easy to deny. The one that who delights in God's word is true self. The one that who gets bored and who gets stay away from lazy is fallen self. You could continually deny. How about this idea? John 17, verse 26. I made known Jesus is praying as a highly priest prayer. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I didn't really recognize this this, this verse until one of the well-respected and incredible theologian by the name of J.I. Packer, who wrote Knowing God, once said, Do you know God loves you with the same love that he has loved? He is loving his own son, Jesus. Do you know the way he loves you is the same with the way he loves Jesus? Isn't that mind-boggling? That's what the verse is saying. Jesus came. The only begotten son came so that he could make the sinners out of out of sinners sons of God. Beloved sons of God. Who is who God for whom God is crazy about? My time's almost up, so let me uh, give us a couple of uh, Application Number one, we are to accept the acceptance of God by fully embracing our new identity in Christ by faith as a beloved son, not as a hired servant. Remember, this is a reality. And one thing that continually hunts me, even as a pastor, is a legalism. Legalism says you do certain things and you pay back. There's a payback. You didn't do right, and you didn't. You weren't. You were really lazy, and then you get bad things, and you do right things, and then you get good things, like a, a reinforcement law, right? In God's grace, without God's grace, it is impossible for us to be the level of God's acceptance. So that's why Jesus came. To die on the cross for us. In which we stand. With God's grace. Full grace. So reject legalism. 
So when I get up in the morning, nowadays, he will whisper, the reason why so-and-so has an attitude towards you is because you're not this way. Because you're too anal. Because they don't like your OCD. Because you're too structured. Because you're not gentle enough. You're not loving enough. You're not too... Not, uh, you know what I do? As soon as the whispers of the lies come, Abba, I belong to you. And if, I, if I did something that makes me feel lousy, Lord Jesus, help mercy on me. A sinner. I am a sinner. I belong to you. I need your mercy. Henny Nowen was one of those authors that helped me in my sabbatical journey. In his book, uh, Return of the Prodigal Son, he writes this. One of the greatest challenges of the spiritual life is to receive God's forgiveness. There is something in us humans that keeps us clinging to our sins and prevents us from letting God erase our past and offer us a completely new beginning. Sometimes it even seems as though I want to prove to God that my darkness is too great to overcome. While God wants to restore me to the full dignity of sonship, I keep insisting that I will settle for being a hired servant. This the terminology image is coming from Luke 15, the return of the prodigal son is basically when he comes back, what is he rehearsing? Father, I have sinned against you in heaven. I am I do not deserve to be your son. But in your house, even though Daily hire servant never goes hungry. Would you hire me as a day, daily hire servant? That was young, younger son's strategy to be accepted by you. But what did he say? Throw a party. Give him a, my best robe and a ring. And bring the guest. Invite the neighbors. Kill a fattened calf. We're going to have a party. Going back to Nowen's uh, quote, but, I, but do I truly want to be restored to the full responsibility of son? Do I truly want to be so totally forgiven that a complete new way of living becomes possible? Do I trust myself in such a radical reclamation? Do I want to break away from my deep-rooted rebellion against God and surrender myself so absolutely to God's love that a new person can emerge? Receiving forgiveness requires a total willingness to let God be God and do all the healing, restoring and renewing. As long as I want to do even a part of that myself, I end up with partial solutions, such as becoming a hired servant. As a hired servant, I can still keep my distance, still revolt 
reject, strike, and run away or complain about my pay. As a beloved son, I have to claim my full dignity and begin preparing myself to become the father. I hope you would think about this and dialogue with some of the brothers and sisters alone. I would love to dialogue with you too. My heart cries out for really this gospel of grace would be so powerfully energizing our church for self-denial. And I will conclude in next week's message on how that really looks like for us. But for now, this is a second application. We are to live by faith with, with our true self, who is deeply loved and well-pleased by God, our, our Abba. Once again, do not listen to the lies of the evil one who discourages you, who leads you to believe your false self. And that's a total destruction, right? When people go, ah, water is spilled. There's nothing I can do. I might go as well. Do not do that. When you take a one step away from God, and there is a slippery slope, oily slippery slope, and you don't know how fast you could drift away from the people of God, from the care of God, from the grace of God, your heart gets hardened, hardened, hardened to a point of callousness. You don't feel the things anymore. Not even for the good things. Come back and live by faith with your true self. And may God help us. And I think I, think I said enough. What I want us to do is, uh, I would like to request worship, to, worship team to come back. I mean, after our normal uh, sharing time. Maybe it was me only, but I'd like us to sing that he loves me as our confession and to let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Let's go to prayer. In the quietness of this room, would you Face your heavenly Father, Hijabba, and let Him speak to you. Let Him quiet your soul with His love. And I want to challenge you to choose faith, choose God's reality, not man's. Subjective realities. And let him speak to you. That God sees you in Christ as a beloved son with whom he is well pleased. Oh, Abba, thank you for your love for your grace. And thank you that your love is fierce, 
holy love that you do not appease us in such a way that the weak grandfathers and even weak fathers wants to be liked and loved by their children or by grandchildren. But Lord, you seek what's really most needed in us. And many of us are so broken and we have a difficulty believing you that your grace is cheap. So oftentimes we want to buy just a little bit of it, not all of it, lest we become responsible for it. And some of us are trained to think that there is no free lunch. Holy Spirit, do your work in transforming our heart. Let us feel your joy and fondness. Help us to reject legalism and cheap grace in our lives. And teach us that we are already sons of God and that we can become more like sons of God, like your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for your mercy and grace to overflow in every single one of us in this room. May you lift up your countenance upon you, upon each one of us. And may you be the reason for our joy today in this coming week because you called us beloved sons. We thank you, Lord. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.